This is the Grind It Podcast. We know just like grinding a handrail or across the coping can be challenging at times, so can life be. We share God's Word and personal stories to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to finish up Romans chapter 9. And we're going to pick up where we left off with Paul talking about the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God, I, 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 there's no way to cover this in, in two podcasts. It, it's just not. There's, but there's a lot of people out there that's written books upon the sovereignty of God. There's a lot of other podcasts. There's a lot of YouTube videos. Whatever you want to, to dig into about the sovereignty of God, I just want to warn you to be careful what you dig into um, it's a very deep subject. It's, it's, it's very difficult to understand because, you know, our minds are limited. We talked about in the last podcast how we, we have a point A and a point B. The sovereignty of God, God knows, uh, he, he knows what's going on before there's ever a point A, before we're ever born. He already knows what's going to happen in between point A and point B, and he knows what's going to happen after point B has come and gone. Uh, we are limited. God is not limited. And God is sovereign. And, and I shared a very simple definition that uh, a preacher named Rod Parsley gave back. I remember this when he said this, and I was in my teenage years. I was watching him on TV one, one day, and he said, The sovereignty of God means simply this that God is God and you ain't. And that, that's, that's a good way to put the sovereignty of God. God is God, and we're not. And Paul talks about it in Romans 9 that we are the creation. He, he, he is the creator. He is the potter. We are the clay. And, and he can decide to do whatever he wants to, to do with the clay. And, and I was talking with my friend the other night uh, as we were eating supper about the I, I wanted their opinion about what they thought about the sovereignty of God and how this fits in with the free will of man. And they were talking about how um, that th- her mom is a, a was a is a potter and and she said my mom could take that clay and choose to do whatever she dis- when she sits down at that wheel and that wheel is spinning she could take that ball of clay. And do whatever she wants to with it because she is in control of the clay. That is the, a great example of the sovereignty of God. And that's what Paul uses here in Romans 9. God can take the creation because he is the creator. He can take the clay and mold it in, into whatever he wants to make it. It can make a beautiful uh, pottery or he can make a garbage can. Out of the same lump of clay. And that, that's basically the example that Paul's going to give. And so back up in verse 6, Paul asks a question to the Jews at the church of Rome. He says, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? And then that sets off an answer to his own question, which is Paul's explaining the sovereignty of God. And he starts out by telling them that being a descendant of Abraham is not going to cut it. Just because you've cut some skin off your 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 private parts, and, and just because God has has given you the law, you are not in right standing with God. You have to have faith in the Son of God in Jesus. And and the many of the Jews would think that it was blasphemous to even speak the name of Jesus. 
And Paul's saying you got to have faith in Jesus because this covenant that God made with Abraham, it's it's over with. It's long, it's long gone. And just because you're a descendant of Abraham does not mean you are a part of the kingdom of God. You got to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You got to be filled with His Holy Spirit. You got to be walking with Jesus on a daily basis. And then Paul's going to bring up the example of Abraham and Sarah and how they they had a son, a son of promise. And 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 Abraham had more children. He had Ishmael. Um, but Isaac was the son of promise. And Paul goes into that example of Isaac and Rebekah. We talked more about that in the last podcast. But he says, For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor, Isaac. And when he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. And she was told, your older son will serve your younger son. So in the words of scripture, Paul says, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? That's what Paul's asking. Are we saying that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy, and we can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, Paul says in verse 18, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Now, like I said, there's people out there smarter than I am that can break this down a whole lot better than I can because I, I just be honest with you, I don't really understand the sovereignty of God. I'm just in my feeble attempts trying to explain it. Um, and so I went to uh, gotquestions.org because they, they can they do pretty good uh, at, at uh, trying to explain some things about Scripture. And I wanted to see what they had to say about this. And this is what gotquestions.org says about this particular topic. After the Israelites sinned against God by worshiping the golden calf, the Lord was ready to send them to the promised land on their own without him. That's Exodus 33 verse 3. But Moses interceded for the people, and during his private meeting with Yahweh, that's God, Moses asked God for assurances, one being, please let me see your glory. And God answered, saying, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Exodus 33, 19. Ever the faithful mediator, Moses asked God not to destroy the Israelites, but to stay with his people to lead them through the promised land. And God agreed to live among them and come down, come down to them in glory in his tabernacle. And the Lord promised Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably upon you, Moses, and I know you, Moses, by name. Exodus 33, 17. And Moses, who had already received glimpses of God's glory at the burning bush on the mountaintop and at the tent of meeting, asked to see more. He wanted a greater revelation of God's glory. And the Lord's answer was part yes and part no. 
God was willing to show off all his divine goodness to Moses. He was pleased to call out his sacred name, Yahweh, before Moses. And he was ready to reveal his sovereign mercy and compassion to Moses. And God would show as much of himself as Moses was able to bear, but there were limits. If Moses were to see a complete revelation of God's glory, it would be so overwhelming that it would destroy him. Exodus 33:20. But not fully answering Moses' request, God was in actuality exhibiting mercy and compassion toward Moses. When he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. The Lord meant that he shows mercy freely to anyone he chooses. The New Living Translation renders the meaning of the verse more explicitly. I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Demonstrating mercy is one way God reveals his glory. The word mercy in Exodus 33:19 means kindness. It means compassion and forgiveness. When God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, he meant that he would show kindness, compassion, and forgiveness to anyone that he chooses. God's mercy, his wonderful or wondrous compassion, leads him to forgive sinners and withhold the punishment that is justly deserved. After the Lord graciously led the Israelites out of slavery into Egypt, through the Red Sea and toward the Promised Land, they responded by revolting against God. Yet because of the favor obtained through their mediator Moses, God was pleased to lavish his mercy on them. So Moses was an intercessor for Israel. Israel was rebelling, or the Hebrew people was rebelling against God, but because God and Moses, or Moses had interceded on their behalf before God, and God made these promises to Moses to stay with them and be with them, then God basically tolerated uh, the Hebrews and led them to the promised land. Uh, where was that? Exodus 33:19 is quoted in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul in reference to the sovereignty of God. And that's what we just read. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Paul meant that God's freedom is absolute. Paul meant that God's freedom is absolute. It is essential to understand that. Before God, humans have no rights or privileges. I'll read that again. It is essential to understand that before God, we humans have no rights or privileges. We have no claim of our own to God's mercy. That is why the concept and the outworking of mercy are so crucial for sinners. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy means God's freedom to demonstrate mercy is not limited by anything but his own divine choice. God does not show mercy because humans deserve it. The Lord's favor cannot be earned by status, social class, or works of righteousness. Otherwise, it would not be mercy. The Lord said he had mercy on Israel because he was pleased with their mediator, the prophet Moses. I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. Exodus 33:17. God chose to extend the grace, favor, and love that he had for Moses to the children of Israel. The people were spared by divine choice through the merits of Moses, their mediator. 
And this act was a foreshadowing of our basis of salvation in Christ Jesus. Humans cannot be saved based on their own efforts, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. The Bible says that we are too sinful to merit salvation. Our salvation hinges on the pleasure God takes in our mediator, the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son and our Savior, Hebrews 9, 15 and Galatians 2, 16. Since God is pleased with Jesus, He is pleased with anyone, that's key, He is pleased with anyone who trusts in Him for salvation. Jesus is our mediator accomplishing for us what Moses did for Israel, only in perfection, because Jesus was perfect. Moses definitely was not perfect. When God told him to speak to the rock, he got so mad, he hit the rock instead, and the water still came out. But it cost Moses because of his anger issues, and he, he, he was only allowed to see the promised land because he disobeyed God. He was not perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect. So let's get back into the scripture and we'll explain it some more. Paul says in verse 17, For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. Pharaoh being the one who uh, had uh, held the Israelites captive, that he was making them slaves and he was, he was making them work harder and harder. And he kept taking things away from them and 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 he just treated them something awful and they cried out to God for 400 years to deliver them and and Paul says he's going back to the scriptures back to Pharaoh and he says I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth that's God talking to Pharaoh so you see Paul says God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen because over and over again it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart that's just that that's what I don't I don't know how else to explain that. God was having a battle with Pharaoh and to show his glory, God hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. And so these plagues kept coming against the Egyptian people. Um so you see, Paul says, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen, like Pharaoh. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he asked or what he makes them do? No, don't say that, Paul says. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Because we don't understand God. God is holy. He's perfect. We're, and he's not limited. We're limited. We're definitely not perfect. And we definitely are not holy. The only way we are perfect and holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. But Paul says, uh, don't simply say that, that we're doing what God makes us do. It's not like he has a joystick up there controlling you know, every move that we make. There is a free will in this. Should the thing say... Or should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for the decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is, the, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. 
He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And verse 24, key. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Because the church at Rome is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Although Paul has been really hammering on the Jews for these first nine chapters. But in this statement in verse 24, Paul says, And we, who is the we? He answers the questions. The we are the Jews and the Gentiles who have obeyed the gospel and are living for Jesus. We are among those God selected, Paul says. So does that mean then that God selects some Jews, some Hebrews? Does that mean that God selects some people and does not select others? Does that mean that that we don't have any say in whether we're going to heaven or hell? I mean, did Jesus die only for a select few? Because that's what it seems that Paul is saying here. And it, that, is, that is the way a lot of people take predestination. They, they say, if you're not of the elect, then you're going to hell. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And they use this chapter to prove that. But is that what Paul is saying here? Is that what he means because if that's what he means in the very next chapter he's going to make a statement uh that's going to contradict everything he said here in chapter nine so that cannot be what paul is saying here does that mean we have no say in whether we make it to heaven or not it cannot mean that because the bible says over and over again whosoever will and i shared these verses before but whosoever will let them come Anybody is invited by God to go to heaven. Anybody. Whosoever will, let them come. And then there's other verses that talks about how God, in Acts, God calls all men and women everywhere to repent. And then there's this one huge verse that a lot of people can quote, but even people who have never been to church before have heard this verse, John 3, 16. For this is how God loves the world, or loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Okay, If we take that one verse, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have eternal life. That just blows out the the thought of there's only a select few that's going to heaven. That God just chooses a certain few and everybody else is just condemned to hell. Because over and over and over and over again, God is sending out this invitation. Jesus told parables about it. How God sends out an invitation and they go into the highways and to the hedges. It, what was that song on the, on the, uh, oh, Brother Arthur? On the highways and the hedges. But the, sorry for my singing there, but I chase a squirrel. Um, but God, he sends out invitations for people 
anyone, man, woman, boy, or girl, to accept his, the sacrifice that his son, Jesus Christ, has made on the cross. He laid down in that tomb for three days and he come up out of that grave three days later, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that blood is available to wash away anybody and everybody's sin. Well, in the very next chapter, Paul is going to say this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's no way that only a select few are getting into heaven. It's anybody because we have a free will. We can choose to reject the message or we can choose to accept the message. We can choose to live for Jesus or we can choose to not live for Jesus. So which is it then? Is it a certain view that God selects or is it anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? And the answer is Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for all, all. Anybody that would call upon his name and be washed in his blood and be filled with his Holy Spirit and walk with him on a daily basis, those are the ones who will make it to heaven, who will be saved. Paul goes on to say in verse 25, concerning the Gentiles, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, but Paul's talking to the Jews here. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will now call my people. He's talking about the Gentiles. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. He's talking about the Gentiles. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. So Paul is trying here to get the Jews to understand that the Gentiles are now a part of the kingdom of God. And this is something that they've got to get used to. Because if you think about it, even when Jesus came on the scene, and he picked his handpicked his 12 disciples and he was sending them out on missions. What did he tell them? He said, you only go to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he would turn around right around and say, but I do have sheep that are not of this fold yet, but they will be one day, All right? And he's talking about the Gentiles. Then in Acts chapter 10, uh, you got the angel coming to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Cornelius goes and gets his friends and his family invites them to his house because the angel tells Cornelius that Peter's on his way and he's got a message for them. Peter's already had a visitation from uh, this vision uh, from God with his sheet of these unclean animals. And Peter's like freaking out because he don't understand what it means. And, and, and he's told to go to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile. And he gets to Cornelius' house and there's Cornelius' friends and his family members and they're sitting there eager, ready to listen to what Peter has to say. Peter starts to tell them about Jesus. 
And while Peter's talking, the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles in Cornelius' house. They're speaking in tongues like the apostles did in, in Acts chapter 2. And, and so it, Peter realizes what's going on. He even mentions, he says, the Holy Spirit has fallen on these Gentiles just like it did on us on the day of Pentecost. And he says, what's keeping these people from being baptized, even though they're Gentiles? And so Peter puts the two and two together, the sheet of the unclean animals, and here's these Gentiles. And now God has poured out his spirit on these Gentiles. We're going to baptize these Gentiles. And so they do. They baptize Cornelius and his family and his friends. And, and, and from that point on, the Gentiles are welcomed into the church. But if you go and read the end of chapter 10 or maybe chapter 11, it says that when the church was scattered, they went about preaching to the Jews only. Even after persecution and the church was scattered for the longest time, even though the, the Gentiles have been welcomed into the faith now, into the kingdom, the Jews went and preached to Jews only for a long time. And then you got Paul who was converted by Jesus on, on the road to Damascus. And what did Jesus tell Paul? He said, you're going to be, you're going to be an ambassador for me. You're going, you're going to go to the Gentiles and you're going to tell the Gentiles about me. And this is going to be very hard on Paul because Paul's going to be chased from city to city with people trying to kill him left and right. They, they catch him a few times, they beat him, they flog him, and they even stone him. I mean, it, it, it just about cost him. Well, I mean, the gospel did cost him his life. But these Jews... They hated Paul, even though Paul was a was at one time a Pharisee, and he is a Jew. But he was hated by the Jews because his message to the Gentiles. And my whole point in saying this is that, that we see this, and you can only imagine. I mean, the Jews hated the Gentiles forever, for hundreds and thousands of years. And now... You know, for the longest time, even after the church began there in Jerusalem in Acts 2, and the church stayed in Jerusalem for quite a while, it was Jews only. It was Jews only. And when they were scattered because of persecution, the Jews were going and preaching to the Jews, not the Gentiles. And now you've got Jews and Gentiles coming together and they're having to worship together. Just like Jesus told the woman at the well it was going to happen because she was saying... You Jews worship in Jerusalem, but you know we Gentiles, we worship on this mountain. And Jesus told her, he said, it, it's, there's coming a time, it ain't going to matter where you worship God. And, and this time, is it, here, here it is, right here in Romans chapter 9. The Jews and the Gentiles have meshed together in the kingdom of God, and they're worshiping together. And Paul is saying, you got to get used to it. This is from God, and God's going to choose to have mercy on whoever he wants to have mercy on, whether it's you Jews or the Gentiles. You better get used to it. And that's what he says in verse 30. He says, what does all this mean as we finish up this chapter? What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. Well, how's that? Because they have faith in Jesus. That's what he says. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel, who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. And God warned them of this 
in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Well, who's the stumbling block? Jesus, that, the, the chief corner stone. The Jews thought he was a blasphemer. That's why they killed him. That's why Peter told them on the day of Pentecost in that first sermon, he says, you are guilty. Talking to the Jews, you are guilty of killing the, the very Savior that the prophets told you about. And now God has raised him back to life and he is sitting at the Father's right hand. And what you see and hear all this speaking in tongues and what's going on, that's from God. That's from the Holy Spirit. It was prophesied by Joel in, in the book of Joel chapter 2. I think down around verse 20. And so... I'm just going to wrap up by saying a good definition of the sovereignty of God is God is God and you ain't. God is God and I'm not. Nobody is except God. And God is in control and God can do whatever He wants to because He's God. He's the Creator. He spoke all this stuff into being. He created us from the dust of the ground just like the potter and the clay and the potter can shape that clay into whatever he wants to, whether it's a beautiful piece of pottery or a garbage can. And God can do the same things with us. Do we have free will? Absolutely. And that's why over and over and over again, the, the, the Bible makes it clear that anybody who wants to be saved and to go to heaven and be with God for eternity, all they have to do except is, is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to be baptized for the remission of their sins, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and live on a daily basis for Christ. That's it. That is where free will comes in. Are we predestined? Absolutely, because God already had a... And we talked about this in the last podcast, or a couple of podcasts ago, I can't remember now. But God had a plan in place, because He knew man was going to blow it in the garden. Man blew it. Adam and Eve blew it. They took of that fruit, and God already had a plan in place. He sacrificed an animal. He covered up their shame. He covered up their, their sin with the blood of that animal and, and the skin of that animal. And then that would foreshadow what Jesus would do for us on the cross. And God's very own Son died in our place so that we can be saved. And anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what Paul's going to say in the very next chapter. And if you've never made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I pray that you do that right now. I pray that you give your life to Him because time is short. Time is short. And the Lord's going to be coming back soon. we got to be ready. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught without the blood of Jesus Christ washing away your sins because you'll never have a second opportunity. And you'll be banned from the presence of God for eternity in a place called hell in a place of torment and it's going to be terrible we don't want anybody to go there we want you to go to heaven with us to be washed in the blood of jesus christ if i can help you make that decision email me at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com or you can text me at the number that's given in the outro if i could pray for you about anything contact me at those two uh, at the email thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com or the phone number that i give in the outro god bless you Keep grinding.
Thanks for listening to the Grounded Podcast. If we could pray for you or encourage you in any way, please email us at thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com or you can text us at 865-418-2824. If you're watching on YouTube, please click like and subscribe and you'll be notified about new episodes. If you're listening on an app, leave us a five-star review, but most importantly, share the Grounded Podcast with a friend. God bless you and remember, keep grinding.